Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we watched uh, 2005's Batman Begins, directed and at least partially written by uh, Christopher Nolan. And that's the movie we're taking a look at today. Our uh, last episode, not including the Star Wars Holiday Special, was uh, Tim Burton's Batman. And so we're kind of taking a look at Batman intros from a film perspective. So what are some of your overall thoughts, Greg? Uh, well, first off, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the holiday special because I know we have some new people today. Uh, so welcome, those of you who listen to the Star Wars uh, holiday special podcast. It's going to be very different. <laughs> it's going to be very different. Thank you for sticking with us and coming back. Um, overall thoughts. Uh, I love Christopher Nolan movies. I, this is not the first one I've, I, I, I've seen. I, I saw Memento, of course, when that when that came out. But I'm I'm a big fan of his, so I'm excited to do a Nolan movie, first of probably many that we'll do. Uh, and I love Hans Zimmer, and so I'm excited about both of those things. Uh, I'm a little less excited about David Goyer, who's the co the co writer, mm -hmm. who's kind of inconsistent. Uh, this is one of his def definitely highlights, I think. I think so too uh, on his resume. Um, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit more. Uh, my first overall thought is that I think this is the most necessary superhero reboot ever. Hmm. Tell me and why. We're, well, because Batman and Robin is trash. <laughs> and I, you know, I grew up, we mentioned the last episode, uh, you know, I saw Batman 89 in the theater. I was 12 and I loved it. And I saw Batman Returns in the theater and really enjoyed that. Saw Batman Forever, less excited about that. Really wanted to like Batman and Robin in 1997 um and it's just awful it's so bad and it you know it kind of just it killed the franchise for the longest time and then you have this complete like this isn't reboot in the most literal sense completely changes the entire batman zeitgeist it's just so very different uh and just revitalized batman's been running strong ever since so uh, that's why I think that you know we reboot superheroes all the time, and it's sometimes necessary. Sometimes it's just a cash grab, just to, or sometimes just to keep the, you know, the rights to the studio. This was like we, if we're going to do Batman, if it's ever going to come back, it has to be like this. And I, this movie had a lot, I think, a lot to live up to, and it did. What about you? What about what? What are some of your overall thoughts? So overall, I, I just have to say that like it's been a long time since I've seen Batman Begins. And I didn't remember liking it that much the last time I saw it. And my mind is completely changed. I, I really loved the film. Um, I think that you're right, that it is. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would agree with you that it's probably a necessary reboot. I mean, and, you know, we'll dive deeper into this. The relative levels of camp uh compared to sure. the other batman films but it it definitely feels quite different as far as um a batman film and you know i think that part of that's christopher nolan i think part of that is hans zimmer i think uh hans zimmer scores have influenced a lot of film since what this came out in like 2005 mm -hmm. so you know this uh, the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, um, Nolan's other film, um, Inception, right? Mm, the score yeah. for that, I think, was was very influential because you start hearing that very bass-heavy uh, cinema score or uh, soundtracks, right? The scores. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of starts with this. It's still got that symphonic, melody-driven um score that i think um you know is in in batman in, in tim burns batman but it's it's more subtle and it's kind of modernized if i could use a word for it i think the character work is really interesting um i'm just gonna dive right into it yeah let's do it so uh with you know like the cinematography I think it was really interesting that, you know, compared to Burns' Batman, this 
just feels like a modern film. Like you could very easily have the like the color grading, uh, the shot styles. Like it could be a a New York City cop thriller. You know, it, it doesn't feel cartoony. It doesn't feel comic booky uh, as far as color and as far as the way it's shot. And you know, since this, and people have mentioned this before, even with MCU movies, the the color grading is quite dull. It really isn't vi- uh, uh, vibrant and bright. Not until I think you get Guardians of the Galaxy uh, does color really pop in superhero movies. And I think the success of Batman Begins in the trilogy really uh, like trem- have tremendous influence on like the direction that superhero movies take uh, into this more realistic uh, realm. Yeah, I think that's a great take. In a lot of the ways that, you know, Batman 89 kind of set the tone for this is how you do a comic book movie. This, again, kind of set the tone. This is how you do, and not just comic book movie, this is how you do an origin story, right? There's tons of films that have said, uh, filmmakers have said, you know, this is why Casino Royale is the way it is too, right? A lot of these films, uh, filmmakers have pointed to Batman Begins as a massive influence on that. You know, and you mentioned the, the cinematography being just, it's just bigger, Right, I mean, the Gotham City we saw in the previous movie, in Batman Nine, is it's very kind of almost claustrophobic, and it feels very self-contained. Where this is like the world is the is the locale for this film, you know, starting off in um, where starting off in the east. I can't remember exactly where they're starting. Uh, it's near the Himalayas, right? Yeah, it's like it's Nepal. Got a, a feeling, yeah, a feeling of Nepal is what Yeah, so. It very much felt, and I remember hearing something, some things in the interviews too, that this is going to be shot like a Bond film. It's going to kind of feel a little bit like that too, which is kind of interesting that then it kind of influences, you know, it's chicken of the egg, right? Kind of influences Casino Royale after being influenced by earlier Bond films. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot about sense of scale. This is one of those films that definitely has that. You see, you know, Bruce Wayne walking across the, like the ice fields and he's just this tiny little speck. And you really get to see the scenery, really get to see the world uh, in there. Yeah. You know, that's some of the, the, the pluses are, are, are that, the scale. I did find that there were some things that I didn't like cinematography-wise, which is interesting because this was nominated for Academy Award for Best Cinematography. And I think it might just be a preference. But the, the, the way the shots uh, of the fights happen, they're very... They're very close. It's hard to see. And I, I know it's a stylistic choice, right? Because we, we've talked about this before, uh, even in the last film, that sometimes it's less is more with Batman. You know, we're getting a lot of just kind of reaction shots from the other characters. You know, think of like the scene on the docks, especially. There's a lot of quick cuts. Uh, and you see just reactions of people. What is happening? What is even, you know, Falcone's trying to look around the corner, see what's going on. But it's all, it's a lot of shaky cam there's a lot of like mid to American shots, which I like would actually like to see the fight just because I want to see Batman just kicking guys' butts. But that's just not the, the way that, you know, Nolan and, and Wally Fister, the cinematography, went in, uh, in this particular film. I, you know, I think that's really interesting. It didn't bother me. I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, that is sort of a pet peeve of mine when films do that. I think this was just good enough where it's like it it, it didn't bother me i I do think of some of the other what jumps to mind is the batman fight scene i think in batman versus superman where he goes to the warehouse Mm -hmm. and you see it that the camera is just more pulled back right you see more of the surrounding environment you see more of the, the enemies you see more of batman just moving and i i do enjoy that kind of fight cinematography a little bit more on the other hand, <laughs> I just wasn't that like too bothered by it. Sure. In this film. Yeah. And I, I, it's definitely intentional. It's not yeah. like, you know, hey, I don't know how to shoot a fight, you know, because there is so many great shots in this film. Lots of establishing shots of, of Gotham City buildings. Um, Lots I of mentioned this, the street level. Like, yeah, street level too. Um, I mentioned this, this the sense of scale. I also really like the shot with uh, Ducard quote-unquote Ducard and, and Bruce Wayne on the ice that kind of pans around too. That's just a beautiful, beautiful shot. 
One shot that did stand out to me this time that I, I guess I hadn't noticed really before is when Bruce comes back to, to Gotham after his kind of his little sojourn off to be find himself and figure out, you know, the mind of criminals is that there's this beautiful shot of Gotham city and it, the sun is setting on it. And I took it as, and I may be reading into this, but I'm a literature teacher and that's what we do is like, this is kind of the end of the reign of crime, at least unfettered, right? That there is going to be something is coming to an end. There is a change happening uh, because it happens like right after you know, he gets on the plane. So I thought that was kind of a cool, a cool way to do it. You don't just drop that shot in just for no reason. There is, there's symbolism there. Mm-hmm. So this is totally random, but yeah. it is sort of cinematography. So there's this thing and you probably know, like there's some leading men who are a little bit shorter than others. And I, I believe Tom Cruise is one. Oh yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Not that they're short, but compared to others. Right. And so in films, they will, Sometimes for shots, they'll give them like a little stool. I mean, like, sure, apple on. box, what have you. Yeah. And I noticed that it doesn't look like they do that in this film because I like Liam Neeson is six four mm-hmm. and uh, Christian Bale's six foot. That's, that's what the internet says. And <laughs> must you be can, true then. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of tell. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's not extreme, but they look natural. And it doesn't matter. And, you know, I guess for me, that was just kind of like, hey, taking a look at Christian Bale, the charisma that he has as Bruce Wayne, the kind of intimidation factor that he has as Batman. We don't need to. We don't need to artificially adjust his height. He can pull it off. And I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if that was intentional or if anybody thought about that. But it to me, it felt like we don't need to kind of fluff up Bale's performance in any kind of artificial way, we can just let him do his thing and and he's going to pull it off. Yeah, I think that's a great pull. I, I noticed that scene uh, actually today. I was watching when uh, Raz Agul reveals himself in, in the Wayne Manor and they do have, it's like, an, it's like a mid shot. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's a shot you could have faked if you right. wanted to. Exactly. But they're side by side and it's Liam Neeson's a huge man. Like, I don't think he has, he doesn't have the reputation of being as big as he is, but he is a giant of a man. Yeah, he is. And Raza Ghoul is a giant of a character. So it fits too that, like, while well, we're in trouble because he just showed up and he's angry and he's, you know, you thought you had this guy pegged and you absolutely don't. And so, besides the fact that you didn't, you know, fluff it up in any way, it also kind of works the other way that you have, yeah, this is an intimidating character. He should be intimidating. Yeah. Some other things I liked a lot was, you know, you mentioned uh, the narrows a little bit, kind of inadvertently, uh, that you have this distinct difference in color palette. Um, it's really done well, I think, when uh, when Rachel Dawes takes Bruce Wayne underground, basically below the levels, when, you know, when she finds out that he was going to try and kill Joe Chill, that it's bright and glass and beautiful up top and then goes down and it like the complete color palette changes. It's kind of like a rotten yellow sickly yellow um also in arkham asylum which is in the narrows so that's kind of the the different the color differences are i think are are really impressive there that's a great catch um and you know following those lines something that it looks like nolan uh took from burton's batman is that idea of just this disgusting crusty garbage laden you know street level Gotham, where the city is just, it's kind of disgusting. Like they have the transition um, from the flashback with, I think it's is Thomas Wayne, his dad. Right. Right. They're on the train going to the opera and the, the monorail is in pristine condition. And then when Bruce and Rachel are writing it later on in the film, there's graffiti all over it. It's shaking and rattling. And you get this sense that it, the city is rotting, you know, from the inside out, sort of. And I think that's kind of an aesthetic that was that Burton used as well. And of course, that's kind of the Batman mythos, right? He has to kind of clean the city up. But even though it's this, it's trending towards a more like realistic 
telling of Batman, they still kind of kept that uh, from from like Burton and onward. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, it is it's rotting from the inside. That's very much how it is. It looks fine from from the top side, but you got to dig a little deeper, and really sometimes not even that deep uh, to get there. We have the corruption of the police force and organized crime just running rampant through there. I did want to point out uh, my last thing for cinematography was the tumbler chase because it's masterfully done. I think with just just a complete almost just frantic mix of angles. Uh, and shots that it's, it's so dynamic because it just keeps moving. We go from everything from a bird's eye uh, to extreme low shot. There's some first person point of view through there. And it's just, it just grabs. I love that. I've seen that. I don't know how many times I've seen that scene so many times, but it's still, there's stuff I've missed and it's still captivating and so much property damage. <laughs> I mean, it just destroys a lot of stuff in this film. Oh, and I did have one last thing. I just thought, just another thing. The the suit-up scene right before he goes back into the Narrows at the very uh-huh. end. Very Rambo. First play part two. <laughs> oh, you reminded me of the older Batman films. That that felt both a little James Bondy with like sure. the gadgets. Yeah. But then also very old school Batman with the gadgets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, it's, it's all those things. Yeah. I just see like Rambo's knife and like sure. lacing up his boots. Dun-dun. Yeah. He's going. To, he's going to go kick some butt. Either way, you see a scene like that, you know, like stuff's going to stuff's going to happen. All right. What about so, what about sound? You want to jump to sound? Yeah, and uh, I've I've already mentioned uh, Zimmer's soundtrack. Um, you know, it's it's orchestral, but at the same time, it also feels uh, a bit more modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some some big, um, more subtle bass beats, but they're they're there, like. I can see echoes of what the soundtrack of like Inception will be right in this film. I don't think the the theme, like the light motif, is to me it felt like a lot lighter uh, than than the soundtrack in Burton's Batman. Um, I I didn't really like light motif, <laughs> and so I you know I think I think it was a good score. Um, I do think that Batman's voice is, is quite good. I like it. Um, and what really kind of made me think was, uh, Ra's al Ghul had the mask on. He had the, the gas mask on at the end. Yep. And you can still tell what he was saying and what he was talking about. That's not always the case with a Nolan film. I, I'm True. thinking of, of Bane. Yeah. <laughs> In The Dark Knight Rises, and also his latest—I think it's his latest film, Tenet, where yeah. I watched that, and the dialogue was quite difficult to understand. Like it was very muddled, and so no, this film—it's like you can hear everybody, you can tell what they're saying, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I do want to point out uh, that Hans Zimmer did not score this film. I should have mentioned this earlier. Did not score it by himself. That he actually teamed up with James Newton Howard. And so some of the more mellow parts probably I Howard's think are probably touch. Howard's. Yeah. yeah. The more dramatic scenes and the more action sequences. This, definitely the drum heavy stuff and the Batman soaring thing, because that's kind of how I interpret the 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 Batman light motif from this film. Sorry for the singing. Um but uh yeah, I think it's a great score. I, I it's it's such a cohesive score, even though you have two different composers that had I not looked up that up, I would have just assumed it was Hans Zimmer because he and also he does you know the Dark Knight by himself and he does Dark Knight Rises by himself and just worked with Nolan several times. So you just assume it's you know it's going to be Zimmer and the stuff that you remember really is it's is Zimmer stuff, stuff yeah. right? Um, I really liked the the bat screeching a lot. There's a lot of just kind of flashes with that. Uh, the distorted voices in the hallucinations is I think very effective works very well with the kind of the shaky cam and the blurriness with kind of with the of the camera work as well. Uh, the Tumblr engine is fantastic. And I love how it's, you just get that sound right before you see it for the first time in action. <laughs> well, at least the, you know, the, the black version, yeah. the one that comes in black. Uh, anything else uh, sound wise that jumped out to you? No. Uh, 
no, nothing unusual, you know, yeah. nothing that really stood out. I mean, you know, you've you've got, you know, like the the grappling gun, but yeah. like all that just kind of, I don't know, it wasn't as distinctive as some other uh, films that I've seen. So yeah, probably melted because of the hyper realism, right? That it doesn't Could feel be, yeah. cartoonish, right? It sounds, oh yeah, those are familiar sounds. Um, I did have also. Um, there's a couple of voiceover transitions that I think are kind of cool because the film is not exactly in flashback. It's kind of told through his memory a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, and so you kind of have those transitions. Uh, there's one in particular where uh, you hear, uh, I was going to call him Qui-Gon Jinn, Ra's <laughs> Ghul talking and asking him about if he still feels responsible for his parents' death while they're kind of sitting on the balcony or standing on the balcony. And it's like, it kind of pulls you out. You're like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. This is not... This is not happening in this particular. I was watching this film, but I'm also watching this narrative at the same time. So uh, it was a little jarring at first, but it, then it's like, oh, okay, this is this is what we're doing. So uh, I think for performance, you know, I, I think we're kind of done with sound. Um, I quite liked all of the acting in this film. I, I don't think there is anyone who I, I disliked. Um, I, I know that some people didn't like Katie Holmes. That's me. I'm on that list. <laughs> I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Cause I didn't, I didn't think it was bad. So, so tell me, explain that a little bit. You know, it's, she's, and she's uneven. She's not horrible. I think the worst, the worst scene is the end. Mm. I think that's just, it's really, really wooden. And I just, I don't buy it from her at all. And Ironic. some of it's ironic coming from someone who enjoys the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, everybody's, everybody's stilted in that. This is what I'm saying is like, that's, that feels like a direction choice. This is mm. like a talent issue. Okay. Um, because, you know, Nolan loaded up this film with actors, with great actors. And some of this is, you know, he's on record as saying this is kind of a, a Superman 78 influence, which is another reason why we need to watch Superman 78. You'll love it. It's fantastic. But in that, you have Marlon Brando and you know Gene Hackman at the top of their game, big name actors. Mm-hmm. Here you have, and Christian Bale is not the big actor in this film. You know, he'd been in a few themes in Empire of the Sun when he was a kid. And I'd seen him in uh, Reign of Fire and uh, Equilibrium, I think, were the only other things I'd seen him in. But he's not a big star as much as you, but you bring in, you've got, um, obviously, you got Liam Neeson, you've got, but more character actors, but I'm just well respected, right? Sure. Uh, Michael Caine. Yeah. Um, Morgan Freeman, guys, Gary Oldman, for crying out loud. Gary Oldman just blends in the background. I almost forgot he was in this movie. (laughs) And he's so good. And then you got Dawson's Creek Girl. And I'm just like, why? Don't be hating on Dawson's Creek. (laughs) Dawson's Creek is Dawson's Creek. It's fine. It is what it is. But it's not, you know, serious gravitas drama. So I think we need to do a true analysis of Dawson's Creek. because That would actually be pretty awesome. I've never seen it. Really? Well, you're younger. You're much younger than I am. Yeah. So it had its moments. And there's there's some good acting on there, and some good actors that came out of that show. But I played Pacey, Josh Jackson. He's he actually he was great on Fringe, which maybe we'll do at some point. Anyway, performances. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna just put her on the. She's just uneven. I think everybody uh, else fair. is really solid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know the the end. I I see what you mean didn't bother me i mean it's just yeah. like you know it was kind of the uh the if the the denouement however you pronounce that right and yeah sounds I was good just, to me i'm 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 good with it like you know i had a fantastic time it's the end of the film yeah uh, i'm it's the almost end of the film i always think that's the end of the sure. film too oh my gosh that is the end of the film i'm gonna count the last part as the epilogue yeah but it's like we're on the downward slope yeah the denouement there you go <laughs> I think, I think that's that right. uh, Gary Oldman is, he's one actor who like, he doesn't feel like a big star to me, but he, he is in my mind, one of those actors who disappears completely into their role. And I think in my opinion, uh, he's one of the best actors uh, in the game right now. Every movie I see him in, he just, he melts like butter into whatever mold that character is. He just disappeared. I'd never see Gary Oldman. I see the character. And that's actually a great comparison because 
um, in our last Batman episode. I kind of mentioned that with Jack Nicholson, I kind of felt his performance didn't work really well with me because I kind of felt like I saw bits of crazy Jack Nicholson, like the shining Jack Nicholson, along with kind of gangster, you know, and then a little bit of silly Joker and right. those things. It just felt like Jack Nicholson didn't melt into the character. I kind of saw bits and pieces and flashes of different aspects. Whereas like Gary Oldman, no, it's Commissioner Gordon completely totally by him every second of the film yeah yeah he takes method acting to another level yeah for sure because you know i love morgan freeman and i love michael Caine, but they're not that different in most of the movies that they're in like they're kind of we're kind of just getting what you're getting like oh cool morgan freeman's in this i know what i'm getting <laughs> michael I'll, Caine's. I'll, in i know what i'm getting i'll, I'll push I mean, back a little bit on michael Caine. like I, I i feel like he plays alfred perfectly and I love his Alfred too. I do. Yeah. But it's not, I still go, oh, it's Michael Caine. Sure. In this, and that, that's not a bad thing. It's I mean, I love Samuel L. Jackson Smith. too. Yeah, same thing. I, I know what I'm getting. I'm signing up for this. That's what I want. Gary Oldman is an entirely different level of acting. He's yeah. doing something else. He's not even acting. It's, it's, he's a, it's, it's a different style. Like, yeah. you know, Will Smith is so charming and entertaining, but you also kind of see Will Smith. <laughs> Right in in the role, right? Right. Whereas Gary Oldman, it's it it's such a a blending into the background. Yeah. So I'm going to ask: Do you have? I think this movie is incredibly quotable. Do you have any favorite lines of dialogue from so, this film? Yes, and I will say this up front that um, I love most of Alfred's lines, and um, in particular, I think that one thing that this film has. Well, okay. Let me back up just a little bit because I do want to talk about uh, Batman and and uh, Bale's performance just a little sure. bit. Yeah, yeah. Specifically yeah. compared to Michael Keaton's, because I think we get very different Batmans. I think the Bruce Waynes oh, yeah. are also a little different as well, but they're playing up different aspects. Where Keaton's Batman is well, softer. He's the eccentric recluse billionaire. This is very much more. Uh, Bale's Batman, Bale's Bruce Wayne is more of the billionaire philanthropist playboy. He's kind of the Tony Stark a little bit of of Bruce Wayne's. I think both of them work. I think both Batmans work. Like they're both mysterious. They're both uh, ag aggressive, intimidating, like physical presences. So I, I wanted to to get that in there, but I wanted to get your thoughts as well. Yeah, and they are they are very different versions, and some of that is, I think, explained by the fact that that Bale's Batman is is just starting out, mm -hmm. you know. But I think you know he is even in this film. You even have uh, Alfred encouraging him to kind of create a Bruce Wayne persona. Like yeah. he kind of comes in, and he really is he's full on just vigilante. He's that's yeah. he is Batman, and that's what I, one thing I do like about the end of the film. Uh, is that you know Rachel makes the comment about like this is your Batman that's your true face this is the mask of what you always see now I think that's a great piece of writing I don't know how good the, the, the acting is but I think it's an interesting concept which begs the question when you get to you know Dark Knight Rises why he disappeared into the Bruce Wayne persona and so that's a whole other thing but I do like it a lot that a lot that he is he's here just to fight crime he has no interest in anything else and it's really Alfred that kind of pushes him into no you have to have you can have excuses for having bruises. You got to go take a polo. You got to buy hotels. You got to do all kind of this crazy stuff. So he's very driven, and I don't think he's very nuanced at first. Whereas it can almost see Michael Keaton's Batman as almost like three personalities, right? That he has that Batman is not exclusively him. You know, he's his the, his public Bruce is very different than his than the private Bruce. But I think his Batman is also very different, that he's kind of all three of those things. Like you see him in the Batcave. That's not Batman. That's not the Bruce that we see with Vicky either. So, yeah, very different choices, I think. Um, but I think all valid interpretations. Mm -hmm. so, so to come back to the lines and Alfred, uh, just like my favorite was probably towards the end. When uh, the house is burning down, Wayne Manor, and 
Alfred says, you know, why do we fall? So we learn how yeah. to get back up. Yeah. And specifically because I felt like this movie had a very strong thematic through line from really beginning to end. Like it was very much about falling, getting back up, both like visually with Bruce as a young kid falling down the well and, you know, getting picked up by his father. Um, the idea of him watching his family die, um, you know, and, and rising and making something out of that. Um, you have the idea of Thomas Wayne's philanthropy and trying to raise Gotham up, which fails after he passes, right? And Bruce comes in and he's like, no, I'm going to bring that back. I'm going to take the failure of my father, not through any fault of his own, but I'm going to take that failure and make something out of it. I'm going to carry on. And there's talk of legacy in there. And so it's like, to me, like you have the action, you have the comic book stuff, but what kind of made this movie for me this time was, was picking up on those thematic through lines where it's like, it's trying to say something. It, it means a little bit more than just here's a bunch of action, <laughs> which I will bring this point back up in Batman versus Superman. Excellent. I, I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> I, you know, just to kind of play off of that, there's another line that's repeated. You know, that, that's where you have to put that through line. And his dad says it and then Alfred says it at the end is that you have Rachel says a line to Bruce. And then later on, he, re he repeats it back to her to kind of reveal that he is, the Batman is Bruce Wayne. And he says, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. And I think that's another one of the, the major themes in this film is your actions are who you are, mm -hmm. right? That he could have been, had he killed Joe Chill, that's who he would have been, right? And he, but what he's doing now, that he's put himself through all this, that he is carrying on his father's legacy in this way, uh, a totally different way than his dad would have planned, of course. Um, but that's what he's doing is bigger than anybody could even possibly imagine. Uh, and it's, it's starting to work. I also had... You know, I had another couple of lines that I really liked. Uh, just about everything that the conversations with, uh, with Lucius Fox are hilarious. So I'm just going to quote one. <laughs> He's, they're talking about the suit and the Bruce Wayne says it's too expensive for the army. And Lucius says, I don't think they tried to market it to the billionaire spelunking base jumping crowd <laughs> because he's so freaking smart. And <laughs> yeah, uh, do a callback on earlier. Yeah, you tried to lie to me about whatever. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. He says yeah. so all, something earlier too, like don't think of me as an idiot. But one thing I really thought was interesting, and I really love the character of Ra's al Ghul, and one of my big questions from this, and I was going to save it for later, but I'll go ahead and ask it now, is, is he right from a certain point of view? Because when he says that criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding, I think he's absolutely right in that regard. And I, I've always loved that quote. I don't think his methods are okay. That's not okay to kill people. But I think that his disillusionment with society and the way that it's, you know, it compromises, I think it, it has some valid points. I, th I think that's, so I'll, I'll say this first. I think that um, what I, I do enjoy about this film as well is the willingness to engage in some philosophical topics through comic book. Like you go to see action, Batman, fun. And it's like, you come up with these interesting questions. Um. I, you know, I, I think your point that his methods are wrong, totally valid, right? Because his method of dealing with this is just elimination, extermination, right? Is society's too understanding, so we're going to eliminate society. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of a genocidal way to handle your problems. And... I I I don't think I agree. This I mean this is a this is a big question where I feel like I I think this idea that criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding begs the question of why criminals are criminals. What what's what's at the root cause, right? Interesting. Yeah. Because Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. 
and it's me. I I think of like, okay, why, why would Jean Valjean steal bread in, um, in Les Mis, right? He steals it because he's desperate. He's hungry. And so it's like, he's not stealing. He's not a criminal because of society's understanding. Does that make sense? It does. And so it's like, he's stealing out of necessity. And I think that's kind of where Thomas Wayne comes in, where he's like, no, philanthropy, love, understanding, uh, empathy, giving back, creating a better community that takes away that desperation is how you get rid of the criminals. And the movie does kind of say like, well, if you kind of take away that philanthropy, then it all goes to hell. <laughs> right. Like it does go away. So, you know, I think that the movie might thematically kind of be saying that a little bit to, to a certain extent. Uh, maybe even that, you know, without good people like Thomas Wayne, like Bruce Wayne, um, that's maybe what you get. Does that make sense? And no, it totally does. And, and as you're, as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm, noticing something I should have noticed earlier. Well, of course he's kind of right because Bruce follows him, right? Mm -hmm. This is, he has to be sympathetic to us, right? We have to look at that and go, yeah, I kind of get where he's coming because this is Bruce's mentor. This is the yeah. guy that puts him on the path to, and he, and, and let's be real. I mean, Bruce Wayne is, he's a vigilante. He, he is a criminal. He's not really allowed to be doing what he's doing. Yes. He's doing a lot of good, but he's doing it outside the law. Mm -hmm. And he is definitely rationalizing his actions based on you know, the results. And so it makes sense to have a mentor figure that would also have that same mindset that, you know, we have to do what's necessary for the greater good. Now, clearly that's a slippery slope, but it makes, but so is, you know, being Batman. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point because it's like, if you had a son and they're like, I'm going to be Batman, like in real life, you'd be like, no, that's probably not the, no, no, you know, not just because you're not a billionaire, but there's, there's moral ethical but other reasons. stuff. There's other yeah. stuff too. Yeah. And it, Batman's not like a good, like a through and through good person. Like there, there is a bit of shadow to him, isn't there? Like, absolutely. It, you're right. He's a vigilante. Like, <laughs> So I don't know. I, I think that's a really interesting question that I hadn't considered um, before you brought it up. Well, all right. See, we learn stuff every time. Yeah. That's why we do this. We're learning too. So I have to say this time I'm watching through as far as uh, costumes, hair and makeup go. I want to skip there for a second. Uh, Ducard's facial hair should have been a dead giveaway. Because if you know what, what Ross Al looks like, that's what he looks like. And it's a, I, the twist is brilliant. I love it. You know, that you have, he's got that beard and then you see Ken Watanabe and he's got that beard. And so you're like, oh, that's Raz Agul. I get it. Okay, cool. But then it happens. You know, like I was surprised the first time I saw the film, but looking back now, I'm like, of course that's Raz Agul. It also helps that it's Ken Watanabe who that's true. A fairly big actor in his own right. Like it's not sure. just some random person. Absolutely. Well, and, and Liam Neeson had played so many mentors beforehand, you know, most famous Qui -Gon. Qui -Gon. Yeah, exactly he's quite we love Qui-Gon he's a good guy so I don't think he'd played a bad guy you know like not in a big role like this he'd been yeah. in several films before this but um yeah it was it was great casting same thing with like Gary Oldman you know playing mostly bad guys this was probably his most high, high profile good guy I mean, this is before Sirius Black too so mm -hmm. you know that's also an interesting challenge to see totally him. forgot he was Sirius Black I know <laughs> Holy smokes. He's the bad guy in Air Force One. You know, he's he's all it, over the place. Isn't he Churchill too? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Dracula. He's yeah. <laughs> so I have to say, my biggest criticism though of the film, you're talking about Raz Al Ghul, yeah, is the fact that we have this and and Nolan loves playing with timelines, right? Yep. This movie's all chopped up timeline-wise. And so we essentially have this intro of like Batman becoming a ninja, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But then like the whole Ra's al Ghul, the whole ninja thing basically drops off a cliff. 
and then it pops back up at the end of the movie. And the whole middle chunk, it feels like we have nothing from that angle. And I just feel like it's, I don't know. It, it, it just feels like where where did they? Because it was it, it goes from all the Ra's al Ghul stuff, the ninja stuff, to Scarecrow and him becoming Batman, and then Scarecrow is just like a random note. I think he gets tased in the face, and then we don't really see him again, <laughs> right? In this, this film, last, yeah, yeah. Well, he yeah. shows up in yeah, he shows up in the next two, but yeah, but, but he me, works for Ra's al Ghul. He, he's, I know, but it's, he's it's, the stand-in, and you have mentioned of you know who I'm working for, and so they've been there this whole time. They've infiltrated. You know, Raza Ghul says, or Rachel Ghul, depending on your pronunciation, mm-hmm. um, says they've it's a, a city so corrupt they've infiltrated every part of the infrastructure. They've been working in the background this whole time. Sure, you just wanted to see him more. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked everything in the movie, and I love the movie overall. I just, it feels weird to me to have like, like one kind of villain in Ra's al Ghul, right? Because yeah. clearly he wants Batman, Bruce Wayne to kill. He's not willing to do that. Right. So it's like, okay, clearly he's kind of a bad guy. Yeah. He does kill all those people though when he blows up their building. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, that's another thing. Extracurricular, you know, justice. Yeah. Um, and then he just drops off. And yes, there's mentions of him. I I do agree. So it's it's not like he's just gone completely. I just I feel like I don't know. It feels awkward. It feels like an awkward handling of the villains in the story. Dang, you're absolutely entitled to your opinion. That's fine. I, I don't have that issue, but you know, I'm good. <laughs> one one last thing uh, with the dialogue that I just wanted to throw in there. Yeah. And this isn't a specific line. There's a lot of jokes in this film. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of of levity. There's a lot of moments where uh, people make stupid one-liners, <laughs> and it's some of them are pretty bad, like cheesy bad, and I kind of love it. And again, this is kind of a point that I'll bring back up with Batman versus Superman, but I also think it's a little bit of a connection back to the Burton, like the silly, goofy, campy, because like someone dressing up in tights as a bat. And like yeah. fighting crime is an inherently kind of silly idea. And so I, I do really appreciate the fact that the creators said, we're going to make a more serious, more realistic, but we're going to keep some of that fun in there of just like making jokes. <laughs> it's like right. the one line where in the, uh, the Tumblr chase, the cops like, come on, describe it to me. It's uh, black. And then it comes flying by yeah. the tank. Yeah. It's, it's like stuff like that where it's just yeah. like, it is silly, but it's also just fun. And, yeah. and I will also just throw this out there that it is very heroic as well. You get that moment where Bruce is in his uh, manor, the giant uh, cross beam right from his manor falls down top of him. The house is burning down and Alfred uh, comes in to save him. And he's like lifting this thing off. And he's like, what is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even <laughs> lift this thing? Exactly. You know, but it's like that moment of, again, falling and rising. But then also yep. that levity, that fun. And so it's, for me, re-watching it, it's like, yeah, this is a good superhero film. Yeah. Bruce gives him that look, too. Like, yeah. face looks pretty He's just like, are you cracking a joke right now? Right now. Right now. You're, really? Right now? Yeah. It. Yeah, it, it does strike the balance, I think, really well. That, that, the, the Tumblr chase stuff. So, yeah, at least tell me what it looks like. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I do want to point out, before we move on to setting design, I didn't get his name, but the the kid that plays young Bruce, I think, did a great job with yeah. very little. His, okay. his face, just shocked and stunned, his eyes, I think, are just so gripped. Like, I believe that kid just watched his parents get murdered. I, just, I think it's uh, oh, very talented. Like, very solid performance. Yeah. All right. Um, setting and design. Uh, I'm just going to throw out right now that Blade Runner was one of the things they quote they said was an inspiration for the design of the film overall. So I think that's always cool because mm-hmm. uh, like you should shoot for Blade Runner. That's that's <laughs> that's a good goal. I think 
the overall, like I kind of talked about the city a little bit. You mentioned um, the Nepal location for, you know, I don't know if we know that for sure, but. Yeah, it says uh, Bhutan. That's actually what it was supposed to be. Oh, okay. Misspoke, but same general area. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's a bit of a unique, <laughs> like that's not something that we seen some of the other Batman. I think all the other no. Batmans take place in Gotham. Yeah, just in Gotham. Just in Gotham, yeah. So, you know, this more globe-trotting um, uh, kind of setting. I also think that the Batcave is a little underdeveloped. Of course, there's a story reason behind that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, I, like, I'm okay with that. It's, it's already a long movie to begin with. <laughs> so, True. Uh, but I think that the little, it's kind of a throwaway, but it's kind of like, well, the manor's burned down. Let's ex- like expand the foundation, if you know what I mean. Right. And so it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like that makes sense. So, yeah, I love that. It's it's very much they just found a cave that was underneath it, and then uh, I love that they have the underground railroad as the kind of the tie-in. Like, there's yeah. a there's an elevator that comes down here. There's a legitimate reason why we have right. a connection from the house to an underground cave uh, that we wouldn't have to go build. It's just already there, which is you're very you know, do six machina, but whatever. It's fine. I like that it adds to the realism of it. I mean, it, it sure. That's exactly what I was thinking, where it's like, we're going to come up with like a realistic reason for everything. Even the electricity on the the, the bat wings. It's like, right. it's an electrostatic thing that creates a rigid shape. It's like, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah right. That's what did you think about the, the suit? I thought it was fine. Yeah, I don't like it. Nothing particularly special. Like, uh, I I didn't notice. I didn't look for it this time. But maybe that's a good thing. So um, whether uh, Batman could turn his neck or not. Because I know Michael Keaton couldn't. Yeah. Well, they make a line. There's a line about that in <laughs> in in uh, The Dark Knight, actually. Because he gets a new suit in The Dark Knight after right. the, the first opening fight. And, yeah. Uh, with Jonathan Crane's guys. And they make a line that you can be able to turn your head and just make makes back into the driveway easier. Um, another joke with Morgan Freeman's character. So yeah, this one's very it's just very bulky to me. Like he's just kind of just huge, and I like the science behind it. It's, uh, it's I, not that's as bulky as Affleck's though. No, like Affleck's is massive. He's like yeah. a transformer. But so is Affleck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This suit is is more than than Bale is. I mean, Bale is a he was pretty well, like you see the scene where he's training in in uh, the League of Shadows. Oh, he's he's ripped. And he's pretty ripped there, and he's not as big. I don't think when no. he gets back to Gotham. Um, but yeah, the, the suit's just kind of blah for me. Always kind of was. Really, I don't think it's very. I don't think it's interesting to look at. Not, not nearly as much as it is in the next film. I think it's a huge improvement when they yeah uh, make. The I think it was just inoffensive. Yeah. You know, because I I didn't think it was particularly good, but also I didn't have any problems with it. So yeah, that's how I would describe it. And we don't really get to see it that much. That's the other thing. We're doing all this close-up fighting and or he's from, you know, up in the air or he's sitting in the Batmobile the, or the Tumblr, which they never call it the Batmobile, not one time. It's, <laughs> it's the really Tumblr. Bad. No, but Batmobile feels very burnt, like... Burtony, right? Yeah. Like the Burton Batmobile feels fun and silly. This is just a tank. Like, yeah. I remember not liking the design when I first saw it. And now I, I like just it, love it because it's, it's so brutal. It is. It, it is. And it's very modern, like, and yeah. realistic. And I'm cheating a little bit because that's somewhat, it's one of your final thoughts. So. <laughs> Okay, so we we could pause and, and we'll come back to that if that's if that's oh right. yeah yeah um, yeah so real world locations most of the time we should just make that I think that we've mentioned that multiple times um, filmed on some sets obviously soundstage for the Narrows and and the Bat Cave um, but yeah it's very Chicagoy feels like a big city um, characters so I think we've talked about just so I'm just gonna see if we missed anybody oh see and I forgot I didn't mention Killian Murphy I think he's great as the scarecrow he doesn't have a ton to do um rutger hauer tom wilkinson both great i love rutger hauer i've always liked him uh, and tom wilkinson as you know he's an english guy playing a kind of italian mobster guy um pretty solid ken watanabe yeah so great cast i'm looking at the 
the cast and going, awesome, awesome, Katie Holmes. Why? Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Everybody, good job. Good performances all around. Any thoughts? Uh, I'll give Katie Holmes a gold star. That's it. <laughs> she passes. <laughs> She's just great on the curve. Maybe she got, I don't know what happened. I think she was totally fine, but I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think Mag, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is that much better, but. Well, and that's kind of, I, I'm not a huge fan of her performance in the next movies. So maybe that's where it's like, I'm kind of, I don't think it's any worse than her. So I think it's, you know, they're both fine. Yeah. It just bugs me for continuity sake. I would like to see the same actor every time, but yeah. What, yeah. whatever. All right. Um, Hero's journey definitely fits the motif, I think, pretty well. Although I, I did have that the mentor angle is is pretty interesting because you do have death of the mentor because he doesn't kill him, but he doesn't save him either. It's a little twisted. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do I really enjoyed the origin story angle of this. I mean, I'd seen a little bit of, of comics. I think I wrote a short story in college about Batman a little bit in his origin story, if I think back that far back. And see how someone, even the Batman animated series has a little bit. Uh, with him, it's not tied to Ra's al Ghul, but that was an intro. I think a really great uh, twist to do this and actually get to see him. You know, we've talked about this before, like the Iron Man thing too, where they get to see him put the suit together and figure out how to be a superhero. I think that's just a fun way to do an origin story. Yeah. Okay. Final thoughts. So, kind of coming back where. I mean, this, and you mentioned it at the very beginning, this is a very big film for DC. It's a big film for Batman as a franchise because it's really different, right? And, you know, we've kind of touched on these differences throughout the whole episode, so I'm not going to, you know, go listing them all again. But I do think that as good as this film is, and I love The Dark Knight as well, not not a big fan of uh, Dark Knight Rises, but really, you know, two good movies. I think some of the wrong lessons were taken from this film. I think that, you know, and we'll talk about this more, but when we get to Batman versus Superman, which is kind of our next introduction of a new Batman, I think a lot of the lessons that they take from this film are wrong. Like, I think... They double down on this idea of modern as a grittier, quote unquote, realer, you know, Batman, which, yeah, like when you compare Burton's Batman to Nolan's Batman, it definitely is darker uh, in some sense, right? Um, thematically, it's dealing with, you know, like mob bosses and hits and all this kind of stuff. Um, I it's much more grounded. Um, but I think that they forget that there's also a lot of cheesy comedy, like good cheesy, com- like one-liners and, and fun and heroism, a lot of heroism in this film. There's a lot of heart, like Batman, Bruce, you know, we kind of talked about, yeah, he's a vigilante, but he's also trying really hard to do the right thing. The whole thematic message of when you fall, get back up. A lot of that gets lost in translation. And I think they take elements, especially aesthetic elements, without keeping the heart that is in this film when they uh, introduce Batfleck. Oh, I thought you were going to say more. Okay. Um, it's like, he's going to stop. He's going to stop there. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, this, it's interesting because it's hard to separate this film from the rest of the movies in the trilogy, right? This, this movie, as, as much as we look at it as being a success and it was, it still made less than $400 million. Mm-hmm. And even in 2005, that's a moderate success. I mean, this came out the same year as, as uh, Revenge of the Sith. And I'm sure there was a Harry Potter movie that same year. So it wasn't, it didn't blow people away box office wise, but it was successful enough that they greenlit a sequel. And no one who doesn't really like to do sequels comes back, does the Dark Knight, and that makes a billion dollars. 
and just destroys everybody else. And then that becomes, and that's a much darker film than this one. There's a lot less levity in that film. There's still yeah. a few things, a um, few, few funny lines, especially between, you know, Alfred and Bruce and Bruce and Lucius and stuff. But I think that really becomes the template, right? That, that we got to go really dark, really grim. I mean, it feels like heat. It's like a Michael Mann film. It is super grim, very long crime drama. And then that becomes the template. So I think this this film gets a little bit of the blame for that because it started the universe for that. Um, but yeah, there are some interesting things. We'll definitely talk about that when we get to the Batman v Superman. And really the DCEU in general is, you know, it's it's executive produced by Nolan. So Nolan has his fingertips, has his fingerprints on it rather. And that makes sense that they want, I mean, he's been making movies for Warners and they want to keep him happy and because he makes, you know, good films and makes lots of money for them. But I think the biggest thing that, um, that crippled them other than the tone, which we can talk about, that's kind of debatable. We'll talk about that. That's a fun discussion is the fact that no one's bat verse is self-contained that for him to have this hyper-realistic, this is kind of how Batman would work in the real world. We've talked about this before. There can't be other superheroes. He can't get on the phone and call Superman or Wonder Woman, Aquaman or whoever else. It has to be just him. And so you cannot have, you know, if they had, they done this. I mean, you had, a billion dollar film and then say, you know what, now we're going to bring in the rest of the members of the justice league connected to that. Then I think you have a foundation that not even the MCU can touch because you have that loyal following, but it, because it is like, this is the story we're going to tell. And then you, know, you get to dark Knight rises and that ends in a way that I don't think anybody expected it to, you know, it's the end of Bruce Wayne's journey, but that was, that's, you know, that's traditionally, that's not the way that goes. He's Batman forever. That's no pun intended. Um, so I think it's, it sets, it's kind of a weird thing. It is a blessing and it's a curse that this franchise was so successful for Warner brothers or am I just off my rocker? No, I, I think that's exactly, I, I think we have different, you know, subjective enjoyment levels of these movies, but I do agree that it's both a blessing and a curse where, Clearly, this was a rejuvenation of the Batman franchise, right, for a more modern audience. And I think you're also right that this movie does catch some of the blame because, you know, it's been a while since I watched Dark Knight. But I think you're right in that that movie is it gets progressively darker. There's progressively less humor. Um, and when you get a success like that, you want to replicate it. And I think that's. That's where they got caught and they they didn't replicate the things I think that were the most important to the, the deep success of the Nolan verse franchise. And I do think that being self-contained helps. I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this. I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this, but we also have to remember that the year after this, 2006, we have Superman Returns, which is not a dark film. It's probably more serious than it needed to have been, but it's not, it's not Man of Steel either. And so you have, I think Warner Brothers kind of having a kind of feeling out process for what they want to do with their, you know, their comic book universe. And, and to have not even decided at that point, I mean, you had a Batman movie and a Superman movie in consecutive years and didn't want to tie them together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing, a, a topic for another time, but uh, I think context, context is everything. I do want to point out too that I just love, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I do love the epilogue so very much. The last line of the film, Gordon says, I never thank, I never said thank you. And when he says, and you'll never have to, like that's, that's who this Batman is. Like yeah. he's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I love it. And um, I think that's kind of a, a perfect little bow tie. You know, or a little little bow ribbon, right, right on the the top of the movie, just like yeah, that that's how it should end. Yep, I, I think that's how our podcast should end too. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. 
We'd love to hear your feedback, every single one of them. Uh, and it really helps get the word out about the podcast, guys. Leave us those reviews if you would, please. Uh, and if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. One last thing. Our next episode will be a review of Batman versus Superman. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite or least favorite moments from Batman versus Superman, and we'll share them on the next episode. And we're going to be doing the ultimate edition, the actual edition that counts edition. So nobody be a lot wants more good to watch stuff. the theatrical cut. So <laughs> it's going to be a fun show. We'll see you guys then. Bye.